Matthew chapter 21, Jesus's triumphant entry. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its coat beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the coat to him and threw their garments over the coat, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, hey, good morning, guys. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome. Uh, today, it's an exciting day. Today, it is Palm Sunday, as we've already talked through. I wanted to take a minute just as we're looking through this message. This is a, a huge celebration, and honestly, for a long time, I never, I never really understood the, the point of celebrating Palm Sunday. I never did enough research to work through, like, well, why am I celebrating this? I thought Easter was the big thing, and so just wanted to, to take a second, if you've never done this before, if you never celebrated Palm Sunday or understood what it's about, Palm Sunday is a huge day. Palm Sunday is a day that was anticipated for. People were excited for it. And today is this really the start of Jesus's public ministry. And so what we do at church is we're trying to recreate how, how this entire week happened for him. So this was the start of his ministry. People were anticipating it. And then ultimately, we're going to uh, look through at Good Friday when he died on the cross and then coming together at Easter where we celebrate his resurrection when he was raised from the dead. But talking through this story, there was so much anticipation behind Palm Sunday when it happened. And people had their hopes so high on this day, just ready to see what's happening, ready to celebrate something that they had learned from their childhood all the way up. They were praying. They were hoping even that they would see something like Palm Sunday happen in their lifetime. There had been lifetimes that passed, and everyone's saying, you know, our Messiah is going to come. He's going to come riding in on a donkey. And, and they were all just so anticipating it. And they had their hopes so high. And you just imagine how stressed that situation, how, how they must have been so stressed because have you ever had your hopes risen so high that it's like, man, if anything goes wrong, my hopes will just be completely shattered. This needs, this needs to work out how I'm thinking because my hopes are just so high right now and I don't want to see them shattered. I wanted to tell you, uh, kind of a personal story of where I did that for someone else. Let me tell you a story of how I shattered a seven-year-old's dreams, all right? We were at a conference in California, and uh, uh, we were right by Disneyland, right by it. 
And so me and Pastor Andrew and uh, uh, Chris Pike, who, who uh, attends the Plymouth location, we were all there for this conference. Chris had brought his son, Charlie. And me and Andrew, we looked at the Google Maps, and we were like, how far away is downtown Disney? Looked it up, saw it. It was a 20-minute walk is what we saw, 20-minute walk. So we turned to Charlie and said, Charlie, do you want to go to Disney? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I want to go to Disney. And Chris is like, hang on, uh, hang on, we need to talk about like what's happening. We can't afford to go to Disney. And we're like, no, we're just taking him to downtown Disney, but they have all the stuff. Like it's going to look really cool. Downtown Disney's just as fun. We're going to do it. And so we, we start to hype him up. We get him all excited. He is dedicated. Charlie is ready to walk to downtown Disney. And we found out shortly into our walk after the 20 minutes had passed, what we looked at was the driving time of how far away downtown Disney was. So it was a 20-minute drive, not a 20-minute walk. And so we then looked at our GPS and saw we had quite a ways left to go. So we look at Chris and like, hey, we might not be able to do this. Like, we've been going a long time. He's like, you told my son we're going to Disney. I cannot talk him off this ledge. Like, he is going to Disney. So we're like, okay, all right, let's do this. And I think we were walking for maybe another hour after that, trying to get to downtown Disney. Like, we're carrying Charlie because he's starting to run out of steam. He was only geared up for a 20-minute walk. And then when we finally get there, it took us so long to get there, all the stores were starting to close. Every, so we got in. We're getting through security. Like, it's dark. The lights are shutting down. All of the little kiosks in the way there, they're closing their gates. And we're walking around, and finally, the only thing left open was the Lego store. So like, hey, there's a Lego, you know, there's a Lego Mickey. Look at where at Disney. Like, this is great. And we brought him through, and he bought like a little packet of Legos, and he was like kind of happy with that. But man, what a, what a tragic experience. We literally, we promised him Disney. And we brought him to a Lego store. Like, we promised so much. And there wasn't even anything to do. Like, they were closing up. He just had to grab a prepackaged, like, here's a truck. And then we had to go. And, and honestly, I don't know. Uh, then they moved to Plymouth shortly after. Maybe they wanted to move away from me. But, but his hopes were so high. And, and really, I, I just set this expectation for him. I was, very, I was very vague. I was just like, you want to go towards Disney? Like, let's go there. And he was like, yes, this is amazing. I'm going to ride all the rides. Like, he was getting so excited. And, and man, I just, I, I dashed his dreams, and I brought him to the Lego store. And so, you know, we're going to look through this story and realize, like, as, as high as his hopes were, this seven-year-old to go to Disneyland, their hopes for the Messiah coming on Palm Sunday was so much higher, so much higher. Their anxiety, their excitement, what they're working through was so much higher than what Charlie had to experience. And they're just thinking through like, man, I just don't want this to not be it. I just don't want my hope shattered. And, and let me tell you this, something that you know I learned from, from with Charlie and I've learned in my life too is when you, when you put your hope so heavily into the wrong things, ultimately his pastor, Jeremy, uh, it is guaranteed, it's guaranteed to shatter. When you put your hopes into the wrong things, it's guaranteed 
to shatter. But let's look at Palm Sunday. We've heard a little bit about it from Donnie as he's talking. And then even before I came up, we read through that scripture. So we're going to stay in Matthew 21 for most of today. But I wanted to talk through, like, why is, why is Palm Sunday so exciting? What's the significance of it? Why is it such a big deal? Why do churches, you know, a lot of churches all over the world, they have these, uh, they have these palm trees, these palm branches they lay out. They'll make crosses using the reeds of the palm. Like, it's a big deal for a lot of us. So I wanted to talk through some of the significance behind it, all right? So um, the first thing that's happening here is Jesus is no longer keeping his ministry a secret. So the reason why Palm Sunday is so significant is because Jesus is, is he's coming out, and he's telling everyone what's happening and who he is. So we can read in Matthew 21, one through five. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead, go into the village over there. He said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So what's happening here, every single miracle that Jesus has done in his ministry, up until today, he has said, go home, tell no one of this. Go home, don't tell anyone, all right? Which was probably not working. You ever like tell a secret to someone? You're like, but don't tell anyone. And then they're like, okay, but if I tell the next person not to tell anyone, that counts too, right? So you know that's how it works. So, so he's doing all these miracles and he's saying like, don't tell anyone. And now he is, he is the exact image of what everyone was hoping for, coming in and announcing, no, I am. I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been praying for. So it's not a secret anymore. There's no turning back from it. Before, people were just calling him a great teacher. People were calling him a prophet. But now he's, he's entered a place where he can't turn back. This is the start of his ministry. This is the start of his public ministry that's begun to happen. So that's one of the reasons why it's such a big deal for us to celebrate. The second thing is people are recognizing Jesus as their triumphant king. So Matthew 21, 8 and 9, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the heaven. What they were doing was not a spiritual, a religious practice. It wasn't anything um, that they were doing because they were told to in scripture. What they were doing was, was cultural, all right? This is how they welcomed in kings that would enter their city. This is how they welcomed war heroes back into their city. They would do this big celebration. They would, they would cover the ground that he walks on, on their clothes and on the palm branches. And so what's happening is there's a huge group of people that are now publicly saying, this is our king. And we have to bear in mind, like, they already had a king. They already lived in Rome. They lived with a lot of different rules. They had a lot of other people reigning over them. And how would you feel if you were a leader of a city and all of a sudden you see them welcoming in someone you've never seen before as if he's a king, as if he's a war hero. He hasn't even done anything yet. 
Why are they celebrating this? This is something that's huge, something that's dangerous for them to be doing, to be recognizing publicly, you know, in front of the people who were ruling over them, saying, this is our king. This is the person. So for this crowd, it was dangerous, but they were so excited that they were, that they were celebrating it. And, and one thing I think that we think through as well to remember, you can tell by the way they're welcoming him too, where their mindset is headed as to who the Messiah was and what he would do. That's how they welcomed kings, but it's also how they welcomed war heroes, all right? So already we can begin to see what they're celebrating. Well, it might look a little different than what Jesus ends up actually doing. And the third thing that happens that's so significant for Palm Sunday is Jesus begins his rule. Like he begins acting different. He acts like a king. In Matthew 21, 12 through 14, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked them over to the ta- he knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, "The scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves." The blind and the lame came into the temple and he healed them. So what happened? He walked in. He celebrated as a king. He goes to his palace. The temple, that is the place of worship for God. He goes there and he cleans house. He kicks everyone out and he starts healing people. He starts restoring people. And so what he's doing, he just walked in, made a huge entrance, goes to his castle and starts ruling. And so that's what we see all in one day. He went from, don't tell anyone, here's a healing. Don't tell anyone, here's a healing, to taking on his rule. So this is really the start of him becoming king over the nations, king over everything that is created. And right after, and this is really the, the, the start of his ministry. His, his plan never really changed, right? It was always to, to die for our sin, and, and I think there's, there's an amazing lesson that we can learn from that. But today what I want us to learn from are the people in the crowd are the people in the crowd. They are so excited and so hopeful and so anxious for what's happening. And I want us to figure out how the public opinion of Jesus, that's, that's what the scriptures are writing about in Matthew, is what you see in this week is there is a giant crowd that goes from absolutely loving Jesus, saying he is the king of everything, he is the hero we've been praying for, he, we are bowing down at his feet, to by Friday yelling, crucify him, and wanting him dead. How? How did these people go from loving him to wanting to give everything to him to wanting him dead and out of, his li- and out of their lives? And I think if we can learn through what's happening to them, we can learn through what can happen to us, and we can avoid it as well. You ask yourself the same question. If you've been in church for a while, if you know someone who's walked away from Jesus, maybe you've asked the same type of question. How did they go from loving Jesus to hating him? How did they go from wanting Jesus to rule in their life to wanting him dead and out of civilization, 
not being talked about on the news, not being talked about in schools, not being talked about around their friends. How do people go from that? And I think through Palm Sunday to Good Friday, we can learn this as well. Now, you remember the story I talked through, Hope in the Wrong Thing, and it gets shattered. The way that they're celebrating Jesus coming into the city is a war hero, is a king. So what they're, they're hoping for, what they've read in all these scriptures, they think Jesus is here, he's going to form an army, and he is going to slaughter Rome and set us free. So they are so excited. What ended up happening is, the, you know, the plan didn't change. A lot of people would think he showed up and he starts quoting those scriptures and he's saying it differently, saying it like, oh, maybe he meant something else. Maybe he's changing the plans. The plans never changed. The problem was the plan was a little vague. The plan was pretty poetic. And they had spent lifetimes deciphering it the way that they thought it needed to be deciphered. And what ended up happening is when something's vague and even poetic, they started to insert their own agenda into what they were reading. They started to insert what they wanted to see in this text because it was vague, right? I was vague when I asked Charlie if he wanted to go to Disney. I kept it pretty simple. I didn't say, hey, do you want to walk for a while to go to some stores that are themed like Disney, right? That's not how I asked. I kept it vague. So what ended up happening is he started inserting his own thoughts into what was going to happen. And ultimately, he's a great kid. He did not lose, he did not lose his temper. He did not work through anything. But the more vague that I was, the more excited he could get, because I didn't tell him any details. He put them in himself. I think through my own life, when I'm excited about something, normally it's because the idea that I have is pretty vague. So I, I, you know, me and Haley, we, we stock our entire house through Facebook Marketplace. We are, are crazy good at finding, and I say we, Haley is crazy good at stocking our house with Facebook Marketplace. Like one man's trash makes our house look awesome. So, and that's just what we always do. We're always on it. It's, it's fun. It's a bargain. Um, and so that's just something we always do. I was able through Facebook Marketplace, to receive a free camper, all right, free camper, that all the electrical worked, the propane still worked, the tires moved, the brakes on it, Dan helped me pick it, pick it up, he was impressed by the brakes that were happening, the only problem, a little bit of water damage, but it's fine, just a little bit of water damage, but everything else works, and it was free, so I was like, yes, I'm going to get this. I'm going to fix it, and then me and Haley are going to sell our house and live in a camper, and we're going to have this great time, and I just, it was amazing. What ended up happening was I I kept it vague, and I thought, I'm going to fix it, and now I'm going to have something I can take my family camping in. We could do road trips, and the farther I got into the details of the camper, the more my hopes began to shatter, because I realized Water damage, you don't clean up with, with, a, with a, a paper towel. Water damage, you don't, you don't just clean up by, by putting like a rug cleaner on the wall and hoping it sucks all the water out. Water damage, you have to rip out everything that got, attacked, that got hit by water, which was most of the camper, which was most of the walls. And so as I kept going and I started peeling things off, being like, oh, I understand. I'm not actually a craftsman. This is going to be a lot more work. I thought I was just going to clean it up. 
And I even debated, like, maybe we just live with it looking like this, and we go camping once. And ultimately, what started out as a dream for me to go cross-country camping in a camper, we just, we just sold the camper, which was great. We got it for free, and I sold it. But, so that was cool. I don't know. Should I not have? No, I think it's fine. It was mine. I think it's fine. <laughs> but, but I had such high hopes. And I was keeping it vague for myself. I knew, right? I called friends who've done it before. And they're like, I don't know, man. I don't think you want to. I'm like, no, it's fine. Hang up. Like, it's fine. And I kept it vague for myself because I knew if I got into details too early, my hopes would be shattered. I was putting my hopes in the wrong thing. I was putting my hopes that this camper was going to be perfect and amazing when I should have been trying to put hopes in my ability to learn how to become a craftsman and actually fix it. And so my hopes were shattered, and that, that just didn't work. And so everyone comes here. It's Palm Sunday. They're all excited. The plan is vague. So they're excited. And every step that Jesus takes and everything he walks through, he starts to get more and more specific. He starts to get specific of how his ministry is going to run And with every step he takes, getting more and more specific, more and more people's hopes are getting shattered. Because what they were hoping for was a lot different than what Jesus came for. And Jesus works through this, you know, even with his own disciples. When he talks through and the band can come up here, Jesus works through this with his disciples. Every step of the way, he tries to say something like, no, that can't happen. You're the Messiah. Like, Let's go get some weapons. Let's go start forming an army. And so let's read this scripture really quick to to see, like even him working through it with his disciples, verses 16, 21 through 23. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go into Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter, this is one of his disciples, this is someone who's following him closely, he thought that the Messiah was going to be the conquering hero that that just slaughters Rome. And so he says, you know, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. And this right here, what he's telling Peter is what everyone needed to hear and what everyone needed to realize. What Jesus was saying to Peter is, hang on a second. You need to let me rule the way that I'm going to rule because it's better for you. I have a God perspective on your life and you're telling me how I need to to conquer these things. You need to let me rule the way that I'm going to rule. And I think that understanding right there is what that crowd could not process on Palm Sunday. It's how they went from worshiping him to wanting him dead because they didn't want him to rule the way he wanted to rule. They wanted him to rule the way that they saw fit. How do we do this in our own life? Do we allow Jesus to use his God perspective on our life? You know, when you decide to follow Jesus, that's a vague idea because there's a lot to unpack. Jesus is the way to everlasting life if you give your life to him. 
That's the truth. There's so much deeper things that happen in your walk with Jesus. And what ends up happening is we want that. And it's vague enough to say, wait a minute, that means if he's going to offer me eternal life and I'm going to be happy, then I'm going to get uh, the job promotion I want. Then I'm going to get all the different things that I've been praying for. Because Jesus said, if I pray for it, it's going to happen. And what ends up happening is then, instead of just giving you things, the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you and saying, hey, maybe you should stop doing this in your life because it's, it's resulting in death. And suddenly, that's not the way you wanted Jesus to rule. And you can't handle it because you don't want him to have the God perspective on your life. You want him to fix something that's now. And it's, and it's something that's so struggling for us to work through. We all want Jesus to fix our life, but then he wants our heart. He wants us to change everything about us to be more like him. And if you're not ready for that, then you become that crowd. You love him, and then he starts to work on you. And then he starts to change you. Then he starts to convict you in things. And you end up saying, well, I don't need Jesus. I don't love Jesus. I got what I wanted out of him, so I'll turn away. You know, and you think through, you know, Jesus can't give that coworker a promotion. I thought I had his favor. That was for me. Jesus, I, I, should, own, I should own a mansion by now. I've, I've given to you. I've, I've served you. I should, I should have more. And Jesus, why, why do I need to give this up? Don't you want me happy? Don't you want me to have a happy life? And suddenly, the more specific the Holy Spirit becomes, the harder it is for us to insert our own motives. The harder it is for us to insert our own beliefs. And the Holy Spirit is a close and intimate person for every single one of us. And the closer, you, the more you let him transform you, the more life-giving you'll feel. But that, that's always hard. And, 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 you know, preparing this message, reading through Psalms, I just believe that there was something that God wanted you to hear today as we're entering Holy Week, as we're going to observe him getting killed on the cross and raising from the dead we need to let Jesus rule the way that Jesus rules in our own life. We need to be ready for whatever he may speak to us, for whatever he can work through. Jesus could overthrow the Roman government like they wanted and set them free from what they had, but he wanted you to be free as well. He had a God perspective of the plan. He didn't want to just save those people. He wanted to save them and us. It's better for us that way. Jesus could make your life perfect here on earth, but he wants you to have a perfect eternity with him. It's better for you that way. His plan is always better. Something that the people on Palm Sunday could never understand that they needed to. His rule is not of armies and splendor, but of lowliness and servanthood. He doesn't conquer nations. He conquers hearts and minds. His message is not of temporal peace, but peace with God. And you need to press into this tension. You need to press into this. When you're starting to feel like, well, maybe, maybe church isn't for me. Press into why you're feeling like that. 
work through it. That is the beginning of what we call at church conviction. And that is the Holy Spirit starting to reveal things to you that you need to work through for a better life, for a better eternity. So we're gonna observe that. And what I want you to do, I want us to never identify with the crowd of Palm Sunday what happened on Friday. I want when Jesus speaks in your life for you to praise his name. For when Jesus to move, I want you to respond and say, what else do I need to change? What else do I need to do, God? And I guarantee you, something will change in your life. You will be closer to God than ever before. Maybe everything won't be answered for you here, but you will have a connection to God like you've never had before. If you have immediate obedience in him and you allow him to rule the way that he's going to rule. So I'm gonna pray. Why don't you stand to your feet? And we're gonna worship. And I want, what I want you to do is begin to ask Jesus, what is that tension that you've been talking to me through? What are the convictions that I need to work through? How do I let you rule the way you want to rule? And how can I better celebrate your resurrection and acknowledge that your plan will always be better than mine? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you always have a plan. We thank you that you have a perspective on our life that we could never have. Not only that, but you share that perspective with us. And I just pray right now that our hearts would be open to the perspective of life that you have for us. Would you speak to us? Would you allow us to just let you rule? Would you help us to, to let you rule the way that you will rule in our hearts, in our cities, in our workplace, in our families, God? Help us to put our hope in the right thing so that when you get specific, we are ready. We love you. We thank you for beginning this public ministry on Palm Sunday, for clearing out the temple, for taking rule, and for showing us how to be obedient to God. And we cannot wait to celebrate your resurrection next week, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we sing and worship together and then we'll dismiss.